there is a mysterious ritual that dates back thousands of years. No living creature has ever survived except the penguin. Those are the words of the legendary Morgan Freeman in the documentary March of the Penguin, which documents this incredible kind of mating migration of the emperor penguin. And if you've ever seen the documentary, then you know exactly what I'm talking about, uh, that right now in March, the penguins are marching from the outer edges of Antarctica inland upwards of 100 miles waddling, uh, sliding on their bellies in order to find a mate, in order to reproduce the next generation of penguins. And what they do is absolutely stunning. It is breathtaking. It is a corporate, communal undertaking that they do together. They survive the harshest of temperatures, negative 80 degrees Fahrenheit, winds up to 120 miles per hour. That puts us here in Blowing Green to shame. 120 miles per hour as they not only survive, but they thrive as a species. When God made the emperor penguin as well as all the other creatures, he also made man. And not just a man, but mankind. Kind, that from the very inception of men, we were not made one, but we were made in a community. We were made together. Even as man uh, fell into sin, betrayed his God, and rebelled against him and his design, his commands, that God's rescue mission wasn't towards a person, but towards a people. That over and over again, you see in the Bible, God speaking that he would draw a people to himself. That he would be their God and they would be his. That we were not made to be alone or by ourselves, but we were made to be with one another. I don't know if you've heard the words muttered. I've probably said them myself in some form or fashion. I don't need the church. I don't need the church. I don't need the church to pray to God. I don't need the church in order to, you know, be saved. I don't need the church in order to grow, whatever it might, uh, however we might articulate that. And I guess it depends on what we mean by church, right? I mean, if we're saying we don't need the building of a church, then you're right. We don't need a building in order to grow, right? And yet, the church isn't a building. It's not an institution. It's not an organization. The church is something different, The way that God has formed the church is, in its essence, very, very different. And so, because of that, we cannot say nor believe that we don't need the church. In fact, we very, very much need the church. It's essential to our spiritual vibrancy. We at Covenant Church form in what we call community groups. It's our primary vehicle for us to reach our mission of knowing Jesus and making him known. That we do gather here on Sunday mornings, and yet we continue to gather in other ways throughout the week. And this isn't the only way a church can be formed, but for us within this community, we have felt that God has called us to form in community groups with this basic DNA of gathering, sharing, and blessing. So the DNA of community groups is gathering, sharing, and blessing. And kind of over the course of the year, I'm going to be giving different sermons called Community Life. We are going to kind of unpack those concepts together, and today is about gathering. That kind of, if I could sort of give you a propositional statement, it's at this, because God has gathered a family to himself to fulfill his mission, we at Covenant gather. 
So because God has gathered a family to himself to fulfill his mission, we at Covenant gather together. And so we're going to talk about what that, what that means. In order to do that, we're going to take a look at John 17, where Jesus is praying for uh, the church and his disciples. Um, before we get into the text of Scripture, let me give you a little bit of context. So Jesus, the very next day, will be going to the cross to give his life uh, to both die and to be raised again three days later. And uh, before he did this, he gathered together his disciples. And he gave them some last words about the kingdom, about himself, about what they could expect. All right, They shared a, uh, a final meal together. They took communion together. And then like any good pastor, right, he prayed to end their time. And so in, when he prays here in 17, he prays for not just them, but for the church. And so I want us to hear the prayer of Jesus for his church and what he articulates. It really kind of fills in what the church is and why we exist. Um, as I read through this, it's a longer text than we normally read uh, today, but you know, how can you cut Jesus's prayer short, right? It would just not be a spiritual thing to do, I don't think. Um, but we're going to read through this whole text. I want you to pay attention to some language. One, please pay attention to possessive language. Words like give, mine, ours. All right. Pay attention to unity language, like one and in. Pay attention to missional language, send, love, and glory. And as we hear these themes kind of repeated, possessive unity and uh, mission language, we're really going to get an, uh, an understanding of Jesus's building and of the church and what the church is and why it exists. All right. So please read on the screen as I read from my Bible, Jesus' prayer. He prays this. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you've given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scriptures might be fulfilled." But now I'm coming to you in these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Just as you have sent me into the world, so I send them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. 
I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that they have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. There's a lot of repetitious language in this prayer that Jesus prays, as my Hebrew professor would say, like every good rabbi, you don't vary your language, you repeat your language so your point may be perfectly clear, and I think Jesus' point is very much clear. What is the church? We are God's possession. We are his. We belong to him. Jesus says, Heavenly Father, you have given them to me, meaning that the Father possesses us, his people, to be given to Christ, and that we are formed in God. We are a community. We are God's family. In other places in John, it says, those who have received Jesus are now adopted sons and daughters of God's family. And so we belong to him. We are under him. And he has drawn us to himself. Those of us who he's drawn to himself, he has done so by us receiving him, Jesus, the word of life. And that is what has brought us to him. And this language is very much this, this drawing, this bringing, Jesus bringing a people to himself. If you can imagine here for a moment, let's say we did like a, a science experiment or something like that, you know, you go home, you get uh, a table, your kitchen table, you throw out a whole bunch of like random things like garbage and whatever, just objects. And if you were to stick like a giant magnet right into the center of that table, anything that's metal would immediately be drawn and stuck to that magnet. And that's what Jesus is saying. That he is the magnet and he has drawn to himself a people through his word and these people have become transformed. They are like him. That when God made man, he says that I made them, not just you, one, them, in our image. That we are like God and we have been called to be like him. So within like the evangelical circles, we have said that uh, God is a trinity. He reveals himself in the scriptures as a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That while there is one God, there are three distinct persons. In essence, they are all God, and yet there are three different persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet one God. And so what God didn't do was he didn't go about some sort of divine strategy or plan or, you know, a business plan and just, like, make a church in order to, like, make followers. He birthed the church out of his very being. It is who he is. We are like him. We are corporate. We are not individual. We're in his image. Six times in this passage, Jesus talks uh, about him being one with the Father and then us being one in him. We are God's family. We are corporate. And why do we exist? We exist for the same purpose as the first and foremost one is to glorify Christ, to make him known. You know, they, he says, I brought them together, my people together, they might see my glory, right? That he would be shown for the powerful magnet that he is, for his truth, for his love, all right? But also the church exists in order to be Christ's presence in the world, that God could have done any number of things to make himself known in our world, and yet he chose 
his people. As Pastor Kyle was talking about Coach Huger and uh, his family and calling all of us to be missionaries together in our community, like that's how Jesus or God, Jesus makes himself known is through us. You know, I wondered as I was growing up in adolescence, God, why don't you show yourself to be true? You know, part the heavens, some sort of giant bright light, speak from the heavens, and I certainly will believe in you. And yet God never did that because he knew I needed something more intimate, something more personal. And so he sent his people in order to come find me and rescue me. And so that's what we are to do. When someone asks, where is God? They ought to, in a very real way, be able to say, oh, there's a local church. That's where God is. Because they believe it, they've been changed into it, and they are fleshing it out. That is where God is. That is who he is. And so if we were to say it this way about the church, that we are God's family that gathers together to accomplish God's purposes together. God's family gathers together to accomplish God's purposes together. And for us at Covenant, community groups are an essential part of how we, as a community, as this church, gather together. You know, Sunday morning services, like we work very intentionally to create this time, this experience. I mean, our hope is that you would be able to bring anyone who is unchurched into this place and know that they can get a nice cup of uh, hot coffee, they can meet some really nice people, they can uh, hear like true things from up front, things that help connect to their life, that help contextualize the Bible to, to where they are at presently. But the way that we're formed and organized on a Sunday morning is is in lecture style like this, because the primary purpose of our gathering is to worship God and to hear from his word. That we had this lecture style because we are corporately coming together to lift him up in song. But then also, what am I doing here? I'm not giving a talk, right? That this is us opening God's word and saying this is what God's word says to his people for the day that we might continue to be like him. Right? That's why we gather on Sunday. But community groups gather differently. Community groups gather in circles, around a table or in a living room. Here you guys are all facing me, but in community groups we face one another, that we might be known, that we might know others. So community groups are vitally important. For us to be one, we must know one another in order for us to bless and share this love with one another in relational ways, in life-transforming ways, we must gather face-to-face. And be close enough that we can get to know each other and be known. But that's much easier said than done, right? I mean, defining gathering isn't hard. You know, just getting together. And yet, there can be so many obstacles when it comes to actually getting together. And this isn't a new, you know, issue for today's modern church. You know, a couple decades after Jesus ascended into heaven, the author of Hebrews wrote, don't neglect to the church, don't neglect meeting together. Meaning that really early on, the church struggled to get together, right? That I can want to be with you, and yet sometimes there can be so many barriers to like getting with you, you know? It takes a lot of energy, doesn't it? It takes a lot of energy, especially if kids. I've got to like wrestle up the kids. I've got to put them in car seats and in my van, and I've got to drive somewhere. Maybe I've got to, you know, cut up some fruit or make a salad to bring to share as a meal, right? That takes some real effort and some real energy, right? I've got to prioritize it in my schedule, I'm busy, you're busy, the kids have activities, my work has a lot of obligations on me, I have my own hobbies that I want to do, I want to work out or whatever it is, you know, and 
Community group can sometimes just sort of feel like another thing the church has asked me to do. It's another thing, you know? And so sometimes I can kind of put it on the same priority level as all those other things. Well, maybe God would call us to recognize in community groups that there's a value there that it's not just another thing. Within our digital age, we are more connected than we have ever been, right? I can, I can get on Twitter, I can get on Facebook and be connected to thousands of people, and yet we are suffering from being so isolated. We are suffering from loneliness. Why is anxiety so skyrocketing? One of it is that we're lonely and we do this life alone. And I think some of it is that we have devalue our physical bodies, that there's goodness when my physical presence is near your physical presence. There's spiritual goodness and nourishment in that. It's easy to believe that I don't need the church for my own growth. But just like the penguin that sort of waddles away from like the colony, which sometimes happens, to its doom. It can survive for a couple days, but not very long. We do need the church. But also one of the reasons why it can be tough to gather with the church is that the church has also been a place of hurt. That God and his sovereignty and his goodness has somehow thought it'd be a good idea to get together a bunch of messy, broken, sinful people and say, that is going to be where I'm going to manifest my presence, right? I don't know why he's done, chosen to do it that way, but that's what he chose. And when we get together, sometimes church can be really messy and it can be hurtful. I'm not saying that to minimize the hurt that some of us have encountered within the church. It's just, it's a reality, right? I send my kids to the basement. <clears throat> I say, go play, have fun. Within two minutes, someone punched someone or someone said something not nice to someone else and people are coming up and weeping and I called them to go and have fun and now all of a sudden they're not very fun when you don't know how to treat each other well, right? But that's what Jesus has done. He's called us to himself, right? He's changing us and yet it is messy trying to be the church together. You know, we have these revivalistic roots within the American church. You know, the American church in many ways was birthed out of the first and the second great awakenings, kind of tent revivals, things like that. And we have had a high, in a good way, a high emphasis on personal decisions for Christ, that we want everyone to hear the message of Jesus Christ. We want everyone to make their own personal individual decision on, do you receive, do you believe, you know, that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Have you prayed the sinner's prayer? Have you made that decision? There's a high emphasis on that based on our, our roots. That's unique to us. That's not necessarily the whole world. But part of that is that we sort of overemphasize this idea of Jesus being in us. Like if you were to ask my kids, where does Jesus live? There's a good chance that they'll say, he lives in my heart, you know, in a very cute but true way, right? And in the New Testament, five times, five times in the New Testament, it talks about Christ being in us or in me, all right, five times. So there's validity to that. But we have to contrast that to the fact that 164 times, the New Testament talks about the Christian experience being with Christ or in him. So the far greater weight is not on an individual spiritual experience or salvation experience with Jesus. The far greater weight is that my Christian life, my salvation, is with him and in him in community. We are not individuals. We are corporate. We are community. So since we are in Christ, it is essential to gather in community group to accomplish his purposes together. 
Since we are in Christ, it is essential to gather in community groups in order to accomplish his purposes together. And what's so cool is that God doesn't invite us to like attend another thing, another lecture, another seminar, another training. There's real goodness in it. There's real purposes in it. That our gathering is meaningful. First, gathering glorifies God. That just us showing up together, being in a circle together, sharing a meal together gives him glory. That's the way he's designed it. That's the way he's made it. That when we get together, people see who he is. You know, if you have a coach, sometimes maybe your coach might say, man, showing up is like half the battle. And there's a truth to that when it comes to our, uh, our experience of the church. Showing up is meaningful. It means something because God derives glory from it, and that is our primary purpose for existence. Second, gathering is fruitful discipline. It's a fruitful discipline. It is a discipline. We already talked about like, how tough it can be to get together. You know, sometimes I've got issues. I don't want you to see my issues. I can put it together here on a Sunday, but if you come to the Gillespie household, you're going to see how messy things are and how unput together I am, right? And so there's a discipline of me getting together and being around you and overcoming those barriers and hurdles that I, that I have. And yet, if I want to gather in meaningful ways, it must be rhythmic. It must be intentional. It must be regular, if I were to train for a marathon, which I will never train for a marathon, <clears throat> but if I were to train for a marathon, I wouldn't just sort of start training whenever I feel like it. I think today I'm going to run some, you know? I think today's a good day to run. Today's not such a good day to run. No, I would go into a regimented training schedule, right? I've got a goal. I want to I uh, be fit, right? I want to be prepared in order to run that race. For us to run the race, we must gather in rhythmic ways together in order to be around one another. And this discipline is fruitful because God is faithful. That when we do get together, God just shares his goodness with us. I was uh, a part of a, a new group of men that are um, starting to get together. And, uh, well, they had been getting together for a couple weeks, and there was a new guy who came in who had fallen kind of out of the church, and he decided to come to this small group. And at the end of the time, he just reflected the guys. He's like, I'm so thankful I came. I didn't want to, but it's so good for me. Why? Because he's living out the word. He's living out God's design. God is faithful. There's fruitfulness in us gathering together on a regular basis. So gathering together glorifies God. Gathering together is a fruitful discipline. Gathering together is the giving and receiving of the blessing of hospitality. Gathering is the giving and the receiving of the blessing of hospitality. In Romans 15, 7, Paul says this, Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. If that doesn't sum up everything that we're talking about this morning, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. That for us to gather together, people must open their homes and they must welcome us in just as Jesus has welcomed us in. Would you open your home? Would you open your home to those in this church and those outside of this church, gathering people together because it is missional, it is purposeful, it is how we're designed and how we are made? It's a way for people to get to see who we really are, for them to feel really loved and cared for by God himself. But also, would you receive the blessing of hospitality? That one of the tragedies and one of the parables that Jesus says is that he says that he creates a wedding banquet, invites a whole bunch of people, and people don't show up. That some of us want to be hospitable. We want to host these community groups. We want to invite people in our home and then people don't show up. Would you show up? Would you receive the blessing of hospitality? Because it's good for you. 
And it's good for them. So gathering together glorifies God as a fruitful discipline, and gathering is where we can give and receive the blessing of hospitality. And so let me lay in the plane. That's a very narrow way that we want to focus our application of today's message. Number one, join a community group. If you're not a part of a community group, get plugged in. Maybe you've been a part of one and then life changed and you fell out of rhythm and habit with it. Well, that's cool. Jump back on board, get back on the horse, and try again. And you can do that by signing up at the info table uh, after service. Just put your name down on the community group list and we will be in touch with you and we will help you find a community group that you can plug into that helps with fitting your schedule, a group of people that want to invite you and welcome you in. Join a community group. Secondly, would you host your community group? Maybe you're in a community group, right? Maybe you're already going and you're receiving the benefits of that, but maybe God is calling you to open your doors to others. Maybe he's, he's calling you to kind of say, you know what? I know that you're afraid that these people might see a little bit more of you than you want to show, but that's okay. I'm with you in this. Would you host your community group? Would you welcome them into your home? It's good for them, and it's good for you. So when the Gillespies go to the zoo... We like to see the penguins. It's like, you know, see the polar bears and the penguins, right? Because penguins are cute. Two little penguins walk around together. They're cute. A little family of penguins, like the mom and dad. Have you ever seen the picture of mom and dad and like the little baby popping out underneath like the mama's penguin's legs? This is adorable. But a colony of penguins is ferociously magnificent. It is a thing to behold. It is glorious and it is beautiful. And God has invited us and called us to be the church to not be cute to not be adorable, to be, but to be this magnificent, magnetic, life-transforming community. That's what I and you are invited to be a part of. Would we not forget that? Would we be that together? Let me pray for us to end our time this morning in the Word. Lord God, you are one. You've always been one. And yet you are three, eternally existing, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You have welcomed us into your presence and into your family. Open your eyes that we would see that we are one, just as you are one. Would you galvanize here a covenant that we would be a unified and obedient family of God for your glory? Lord God, would you give us hope and humility and grace, the grace that we need, to gather together. Amen.